welcome to episode number 20 of the Canadian Prepper Podcast, recorded April 19th, 2019. My name's Eric, I'm the host of the show. I'm based in southern Ontario. I'm a hunter, target shooter, ham radio operator, VE3 EPN for you other operators out there, and computer geek. I got into preparedness when I was working frontline emergency services and witnessed an over-reliance on emergency services during major events such as ice storms, powder outages, etc. I started a small preparedness company to help people get prepared and able to look after themselves for at least 72 hours, if not longer. Hi there, my name is Ian. I live on a small hobby farm on Vancouver Island. I'm an outdoor enthusiast, sport shooter, reloader, and my farm's designated handyman. My professional background has taught me to adapt to unexpected situations and also reinforces my belief that learning never ends. And I'm Alan. My friends and family call me a safety nerd. My background as a first responder has instilled in me a mind for safety. I teach first aid, coach my friends and family to be better prepared. I'm a locksmith by trade and have worked in the physical security industry for more than 20 years now. All right, so we've got some budding content for you in this episode. <laughs> We're going to start off with some news articles relating to preparedness in the outdoors. Next, we'll be letting you know about how we've improved our preparedness since our last episode, and then we'll get into the main topic of this episode. If you couldn't guess with the uh, dad joke there, it's gardening for preppers. I like the dad joke. I think they're pretty good. <laughs> uh, coming, coming from a group of dads, I can only imagine. <laughs> um, so on to some news. I found a couple of articles uh, from the last week that have uh, uh, that are really topical for this. Um, post-cyclone, we're about four weeks post-cyclone landing for, in uh, Mozambique, Malawi, Zimbabwe. Um, and they are running critically short on food and are reliant on... Uh, external aid to make uh, um, to, to keep people from starving to death. It's uh, it's case in point of how a, a natural, an unavoidable natural disaster, is making making lives a whole lot a uh, whole lot harder than they already are. Um, the other one I saw uh, was coming out of Cuba, where the government policies are forcing food shortages for the people. Although I will wager that uh, Raul Castro there isn't going hungry by any means. Um, Castro is blaming Trump for the problem, uh, but there a lot of economic troubles are due to trade issues with Brazil and Venezuela, uh, which have left uh, Cuba in a huge cash crunch. And since it's all government controlled, then there is no ability for anybody to break out on their own and take care of themselves. Well, actually, it brings up a really good point too, because I mean, worldwide, I think we're, we're running like about a two-month. A, you know, ahead of delivery date kind of schedule for food supply. So we don't have a whole lot to begin with, but I think a lot of these third world countries and or communist dictatorships don't carry a, a large extra, you know, food supply. So if there is some sort of interruption, it doesn't take much to run out, does it? Well, well it's, I mean, we were actually just talking about this earlier, earlier today in the car. Um, you know, most grocery stores have three days worth of food on, on average day. They have about three days worth of supplies on hand. Um, that's for their anticipated sales. If something goes wrong, those three days worth of supplies become 12 hours worth of supplies really quickly. Yeah, I can see that. Well, I got some uh, clickbait headlines for you today. I got uh, rabbit Ebola strikes again. So it's, uh, ah. which it's actually, it's kind of worse than you would, would think. It's a good life lesson thing for all of us because uh, so this is actually really local to my area. Um, what happened last year is my family's involved with the 4-H Farm Club. And uh, basically there's, there's different groups of uh, people that, you know, some people deal with horses, cows, uh, rabbits, chickens, whatever have you. And last year the 4-H Club got canceled because of uh, rabbit. Uh, hemorrhagic fever which is basically a version of ebola that's only affecting local rabbits 
um, take this as an allegory for for worldwide life in general. But uh, a lot of people around here have uh, released their you know Easter bunnies that they get the kids. The bunnies grew up and are no longer cute, so they release them onto the university campuses and ever have you know what have you. And sure enough, some of these uh, university grounds and parks and everything else get overrun with domesticated rabbits, like uh, not even the European cottontail. And uh, sure enough, with these these dense populations, the end up getting these diseases popping up where basically it's wiped out almost 100% of the domesticated rabbits in the area uh, to the point where even if you have a rabbit that hasn't been affected, it needs to be uh, vaccinated about every three weeks to two months or something like that. And um, that'll just, that's like life support. That's all it does. It'll, it's a carrier no matter what. Wow. And, and so they actually can't bring in the 4-H program this year either because there's all these carriers floating around. Uh, but interestingly enough, the rabbits that stayed wild um, – aren't affected so the european cottontails that were introduced like you know a couple hundred years ago are not affected but the domesticated ones were and uh sure enough high dis- high population density disease breaks out huh. yeah, shocking how that happens it's yeah, almost exactly. as if this has been happening for thousands of years yeah exactly <laughs> so it's it's very interesting and the fact is that there's yeah, obviously no no known cure it doesn't affect humans but uh still not a not a pleasant way to go for sure thanks no. yeah so uh yeah don't come to vancouver with a pet rabbit got it <laughs> deal all right so i've got an article here uh from quebec it's about uh, three hours ago according to the posting uh it's uh, canadian forces asked to help in f- uh, flood emergency preparedness so uh the quebec public security or um, minister uh has just asked for help uh, from the canadian forces in southern quebec emergency preparedness against spring flooding and uh, I don't know about you two guys, but uh, in my area, we're certainly seeing uh, quite the rise in rain and, and uh, a little bit of flooding here oh, and there. Absolutely. So it's it's coming. My uh, my front yard right now is uh, is a big pond. Yeah, we've had a couple of days of rain here, and my the cornfield behind my house is uh, is pretty much a pretty much a swamp. Yeah, I think uh, our flood season has ended. Uh, we're just uh, beginning the dry season, so we're actually uh, we're we're happy that it's over with. So uh, my uh, my sump pumps are going. Uh, Quite continuously, they they go quite continuously for the most part, but uh, now it's like yep. a constant go 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 instead of a couple minute break and then go. So it uh, it's here. What is snow the, melting? Is the uh, the foundation around your house is it like sand or is it clay or was it? Uh, I guess it must be sandy. Yeah, it's sandy. Yeah, yeah. Just, My, mine's all clay, but it slopes down from the road, so the water has nowhere to go. Uh, yeah, I'll do it. Right, let's see. Let's uh, let's move into what we've done lately for our preps. So for myself, I finished a certification for work, which uh, also would apply to day-to-day life, and uh, it's a typical computer geek certification. So I uh, got that all done and, and played around with uh, with the network here at the house, um, which was evident when we were trying to set up here earlier. <laughs> so I got the certification, but had to push a few more buttons. But uh, anyways, uh, I cleared off another university course as well. I'm working on a, a bachelor's of... Uh, professional arts through Athabasca University. So I've got eight more courses to go. So uh, slowly pushing my way through that. Um, Secured my internet connection, which was causing a few little hiccups there, but uh, we figured it out. Um, So all the ones and zeros that I'm sending out your guys' way is uh, all encrypted, coming and going. So that uh, that was a fun little project to set up. And uh, I got into uh, my first purchase of precious metals, grabbed the uh, 10-ounce silver bar. So that uh, is now in the safe. That is a big bar. It is a big bar. 
Yeah, it's interesting what they've, they've really they've really taken off with the uh, preparedness people as well. You, you can see the you can find the one ounce pieces. You can get the ones that break up into little you know you can break off little pieces of each ones. They're kind of pre etched. You can break off as, as your card. It's uh it's actually come quite a ways in the last a while, hasn't it? That's kind of neat. One of the guys uh, in in one of the groups I'm in actually posted that they were uh, selling. It's a Canadian place. I think they're out of Alberta, if I remember correctly. But they were selling the bar at spot price. I was like, yeah. I'll have a look at it and figure, yeah, why not? I'll grab something to throw in the safe and then I've got it. Worst case scenario, you can drop it on somebody's head. Oh, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah why not? Protection, good. monetary, it works. It's a good projectile. Mm. So as uh, for myself, well, I finished up a, a big stretch of work. So I uh, got back home, uh, played catch up on the animal feeding and watering and all that stuff. Uh, once I got that out of the way, did some much needed maintenance on the log splitter. Uh, went to the range finally for the first time. And I don't know how long it's, it's, it's crazy how uh, I don't go nearly as much as I would like, but anyway, uh, split up some baby chickens, uh, not individually. I'm saying by the group. <laughs> so I kept them all intact anyway. So uh, yeah, we split up some baby chickens <laughs> into different flocks, <laughs> depending on what their end game is. So we kept the, uh, we figured out who is the male and put him off into the grow-out coop to uh, grow up for his uh, his big day. And females, depending on the, the breed for the, uh, the chicken showing, put him into different uh, coops as well. And then ran the splitter uh, with all the wood I'd cut down there last month, I guess. So I ran the splitter pretty much for, what, three days straight uh, to restock the winter wood supply. And that's about it for me. Fantastic. Uh, this past week, um, my better half and I attended a, a Stop the Bleed training. So I discussed that a couple of weeks back that it was uh, it's being offered for at no charge by the uh, by the local hospital, by the local trauma center. Uh, so we went and did that, which was pretty cool. Learned to uh, pack wounds and put on tourniquets. And uh, the wound packing was actually was probably the most interesting part of that. But um, it was kind of something we got to do together, which was which was nice. And uh, uh, getting set up for next weekend, I'm going out to do my uh, wilderness wilderness and remote first aid. Uh, so I get to get get to go and touch all my camping gear and take some new things out there and try some new skills and techniques. Um, ended up ended up stocking up on some uh, some hygiene products this week, and we're trending towards having uh, a year's supply, a year's worth of supplies in the house to stay clean. And then uh, today, even actually, I picked up my uh, picked up the the shortwave uh, study guide from uh, from the local club. So. Met, uh, made a local, made contact with the local shortwave radio club, and uh, we're gonna gonna do that. And I'm thinking by uh, by Christmas, I'll be ready to write that test. So throw that in with all my other training, and it'll be uh, it'll be a, a busy year of uh, year. Oh, awesome! We can start chatting on the ham radio frequencies then. That's that's the, that's the end game. Yep. Well, we and, do... uh, and having the uh, the house uh, years worth of uh, cleaning supplies will come in handy for next episode too. I guess. Won't it? <laughs> it's almost it's almost as if it was planned that way. Yeah. <laughs> Look at that. Who did you do the uh, wilderness first aid through? Uh it's a it's a red cross it's a red cross program. The uh the the local the local instructor. It's something I've done many times before. The um the local instructor is someone that I've worked with for many, many years. She's uh she's really well uh, uh really well versed and a, a fantastic outdoors person in her own right. And uh, and just you know huge like huge vast volumes of experience in uh, in being out in the wilderness and uh, so yeah it's it's I'm, I'm excited mostly you know just as much to go out camping as to as to actually refresh on some skills so oh, awesome all right how about we move into the main topic of the show gardening for preppers yeah I guess uh, the first thing we should ask or talk about is why we're chatting about this 
So I guess, uh, you know, I've heard on the internet, I'm sure you guys have too, about, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'm all set for, for uh, food supply because I got a, a uh, vacuum packed or freeze dried can of uh, garden seeds. I'm, I'm good to go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Perfect>. <laughs> if you plan on eating seeds. Yeah, exactly. If you, if you want to have a nice chia snack or something, but yeah, no. Uh, so I mean, grabbing a packet of seeds and hoping it's going to make a, it work during the zombie apocalypse is not going to work, right? So I think we all, we can all agree you need to gain experience growing food before it becomes vital to your survival. Practice makes perfect. Yeah, it, it's it's just not going to go well the first couple of years. It, it, it's a there's a there's more than a little bit of a learning curve when it comes to growing vegetables. Oh, and it's not even just the growing part too. It's all the other associated stuff we'll talk about later on here. But it's uh, it's a multifaceted skill set that, that you need to work on for yep. sure. Um, one, a couple of points I had here right off the bat was like, uh, if in that vacuum pack, you know, number ten can of seeds, do you have seeds that'll actually grow in your climate? It would be the number one question because they probably pack it for the southern U.S. or you know whoever the supplier is, and it might not work for your climate, right? Exactly. There are no orange trees in southern Ontario. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we could talk nope. about uh, uh, other Eric uh, Protector, uh, you know, when he was on the other day, like his climate's going to be vastly different than yours or mine or anything else. So, you know, yep. uh, just a regular pre-canned uh, can of seeds isn't going to work all the time. And I guess the other thing too is like most of those garden seeds you buy uh, are not heritage seeds, right? Like they won't re-germinate necessarily. Uh, sometimes they, they're expecting you to come back every year and buy a new packet of seeds, right? Yep. Yeah, that's, that's something you got to keep in mind, right? If you don't have uh, seeds for the year after and the year after that and the year after that, no good. Well, yeah, and I guess yeah. a lot of people, even to figure out how to grow your own seed plants is a bit of a skill set as well. That's I have known, I know nothing about it, full disclosure, but I mean, like some guys were saying that that, that takes years to even to get established with a, a seed that works well for your climate, your area, and that you know you can work with. Oh, yeah. I, yeah I, something I, my, something my, grandparents, my grandparents did that for decades they, they started the seeds that they had and then um started the seeds that they purchased and then they um my grandma bought flower seeds every year and then she used used seeds from the previous year's crops to grow next year's crop which was um a skill that she learned over you know over a lifetime not something that she figured out on the go when she didn't have access to a grocery store well, actually, just one thing before I forget, I just, we didn't write it in the show notes, but uh, with those seed packets too, a lot of times you'll lose about 10% of the viability per year. So after like the seed packets been sit there for 10 years, you might not get any germination out of the thing too, right? Yeah, that's uh, no good to you. No, I mean, I, I think we've all heard stories about seeds that were left in the pyramids that were good 2,000 years later or whatever, but that's not always the case. <laughs> <laughs> Especially in a nice uh, wet climate like mine or something like that, they'll just rot away to nothing. So. Don't, don't let the yeah. truth get in the way of a good story. Exactly. <laughs> it's the first uh, rule of journalism, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I was actually going to ask you guys what your thoughts are on like uh, prepper-related crops. Maybe guys that were starting out could think of uh, growing. Um, well, potatoes are probably a, a, um, one of the the most natural in terms of um, being easy to grow, being easy to manage in terms of. Uh, uh, pest control uh they can be grown just about anywhere you can grow like 100 pounds of potatoes in like 12 cubic feet like four by four by four box uh you can grow like, they're they're easy to grow they're easy to regrow um you know dense decent nutrition to them obviously you can't uh, you can't live on potatoes alone but it's uh, um, a really good one to start with 
Hey, you can make booze from really it. Really hard to screw it up. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, how many million Irish people can't be wrong? But uh, no, seriously, I mean, yeah, you, can, you can technically, I suppose, if you had to live, you know, poorly on it. But I mean, yeah, you can you can make booze with it. You can. They are obviously easy to reseed and everything else. It's a really good one for sure. Yep. I was actually yeah, thinking. I would say start with start with the like start with the tubers. Start with the things that grow underground. They're they're less susceptible to predators than your you know your berries and berries and tomato plants. Yeah. So actually, I was going to bring this one up. So uh, as far as tubers go, um, for the YouTube or for the podcast listeners, I'm holding up what looks like an atomic potato, but it's <laughs> or a horribly disfigured one anyway. But it's called a Jerusalem artichoke, uh, also known as a sunchoke, and I think they've got about three or four other names. Um, but basically, the interesting thing about them, from a prepper perspective, is they, uh, they're they obviously perennial. They come back every year. Very easy to grow. Um, Marty, who was going to be on here tonight, wanted me to mention the fact that they're extremely invasive. So if you uh, don't plant them anywhere, you don't want them to take over. Um, when you peel them off, they look like this, which is more like a, a turnip or a kohlrabi or something like that. Uh, you can eat it raw, which is nice. and Or you can eat it cooked. And it's like a potato. Um, and it's actually, it's very easy to grow. Like, uh, I got a, this from actually my down the island prepper friend uh we'll call him better ian anyway um yeah he gave me uh, he gave me three bags of uh these things and he's just overwhelmed by them and this early in the year so we're early into april and he's like overwhelmed with these things so um our plan was kind of plant some of the crown land behind us and see how they take off <laughs> so <laughs> why not i think the government can uh, supply me some gardening uh, spots because if they are invasive, great. But if they're not, I mean, I noticed that the alpacas will eat the leaves that that, uh, they, that come above ground. So I mean, I can't really have them here unguarded. So um, that's why we can't have nice things, Ian. If you go plant invasive species on crown land, that's how we lose crown land. Oh, come on, that's only like on the fence line. We'll put it that way. So. Uh, <laughs> But uh, yeah, no, that was uh, I figured that was a good one. People always talk about it on the internet, but not too many people have actually seen one. So if uh, you know people on the podcast want to take a look at the YouTube video, they can see what one looks like that when you pull up from the ground. They're a good size. Um, you can peel them with a spoon. If you told me that was a ginger plant. It would have uh, I would have I wouldn't have been able to tell you the difference. It looks a lot like a ginger root. Well, exactly. Yeah. Just like a ginger, you uh, you can take a spoon to it just to peel the skin off, and so you don't lose too much. Um, and actually, they're quite tasty. Uh, we were actually snacking on a couple of these before the show, but of course, my buddy calls them fartichokes because uh, they do create quite a bit of, uh, of of gas when you eat them, especially raw. So appreciate well, the warning. Pre in, in the in the cooler in the cooler climate, that'll just help keep you warm, and you'll have to you'll have to burn less wood. Yeah, free meth. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> free methane for you. What do you guys uh, have? You guys tried any uh, uh, growing onions or anything like that, or carrots or anything like that? I've had luck with carrots uh, and uh, tomatoes were have taken off here. We actually had them take over our garden the uh, last couple of years. Um, so they've been good. Yeah, one of I, I, grew, I grew up in a in a giant garden, and we had uh, um, yeah tomatoes, tomatoes on, like green onions especially uh, were great, and uh, peppers. My grandma, uh, especially my grandma, she she could do anything with peppers, and um, you know to the point where we were you know giving them away by the giving them away by the basket. We've had really good luck with uh, beets as well. Yeah, interesting. Like, because I mean, uh, I guess storage is another you know factor that comes into play. Like, uh, one thing I wanted to talk about was like squash, uh, turnips, that type of thing. Because we've had a couple of squashes that uh, were growing last fall. We finally just cracked them open here like last week, and they were still good. Uh, they just sat right on the, on the kitchen counter for literally months on end and didn't degrade at all. So, as far as shelf stable foods, uh, maybe we want to think about some sort of spaghetti squash or something that you actually find appealing. Make sure you'll actually eat it, but. Uh, Squash are definitely a nice shelf stable food as well. 
Oh, good call. Yeah, yeah I wouldn't even have thought of that. Yeah, I was actually sh- shocked at just how fresh it was when we cracked it open. Like, I mean, of course, the the, th- the skin on it's probably like almost half yep. an inch thick. But um, one thing I actually did as a bachelor, even before before I got into the prepping full 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 throttle here, was um, I grabbed green onions out of the grocery store, yep. and when you uh, clip the tips off, I just threw them right in, like you know, small little can. And sure enough, uh, you get free green onions for life, basically, which you can do indoors, outdoors, whatever have you year round. Um, save it a little bit of money yep. that way which is always good. Plus it's a easy way to get into the, the whole gardening thing too, which uh, requires pretty much zero effort and zero cost. Yeah. I like it. Yeah, well, it's, that's, and that's going to come down to our uh, podcast challenge later is just, you know, grow something. It can be anything, but that's an easy, that's an easy one to grow. It's something that we've, uh, uh, I know like, We've, I, I remember doing that in school. You can do that with avocado. You can do that with bean sprouts. You can do that with just about anything. So, or not just about anything, but you can do that with a fair number of them where it doesn't take a whole lot to grow and they're easy to regenerate. Yeah. Have you guys got any big trees in your yard, uh, like apple, cherry, crab apple, all that stuff? I do not. Uh, I, I have, I have a, a, an enormous maple tree and some pine trees, but I don't have anything. I, fruit, fruit doesn't grow well around here. We have we have some we have a few apple orchards, but um, they're uh, they're 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 pretty high maintenance. Yeah, like interesting. Like modern day commercial production is is very you know chemical and, and time in, intensive and everything else to grow. And because of course those trees aren't really naturally producing that many apples unless they're really worked on. But uh, yeah, we planted a few apple trees here. But that's uh, well, that's one of those things where you can plant it and not expect any fruit for like five, ten years type of thing, depending on the climate, right? But yeah. A good, a good investment over time, but not short term for sure. Well, definitely not short term, which is you know, it, which comes down to the prepping part of preparedness. That um, you know, it's gonna it can take five, you know, five to ten years before you've got viable crops, and so get get good at it now um, before before you need to because it's gonna be it's gonna be a whole lot harder to do it later. No, absolutely. A um, couple of things I want to touch on: water supply. Um, you know, whether it be during a normal time or you know uh adverse time i guess you want to make sure you have uh, enough supplies to keep your garden going so that's where the rainwater catchment would come in or uh any sort of yeah. hand- not unless i guess we're lucky enough to have a hand pump in our basement either so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well it's, and that's but it, it's also important that you that you regulate the water because if you if you're directing all of the water from your roof into your garden then you may end up over over watering it which is just as bad as underwater oh, for sure yeah, we've got a couple of rain barrels that uh, collect the rain for us throughout the summer, and then we just take buckets over to, to water the garden. So, works out well. Yeah, for us, our uh, our big thing is trying to get enough soil to actually grow stuff because we're basically on a on a rock hillside, and uh, so we're basically having to make our own soil as we go here, which is time intensive as well. But um, you know, if you combine it with other things such as the animals that we have, uh, chicken poop, alpaca poop, with a bit of bark mulch from the local. Uh, greenhouse guy um it's amazing how fast you can make your own dirt for sure uh so it's something to be said about having your own compost heap to make your own um soil yeah, that's, that's on our list for the summer too is getting uh getting into composting and diverting a bunch of the stuff from uh from throwing it in the garbage can to just out into the composter in the back so well interesting if you go to a place like starbucks they'll give away your uh their used coffee grounds for free uh pre-bagged huh. and uh basically plant those and Smells not bad either, and it uh, basically breaks down relatively fast and gets you some uh, some good soil over time. Oh, Starbucks is good for something. Yeah, yeah it's got to be good for something. <laughs> not, inside voice, inside voice. Not just burnt coffee. <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's, uh, did you? What do you guys know anything about hydroponics or anything or greenhouse usage? 
it's it's very it's very um, heavily reliant on like chemical fertilizers, just because you're, there's no natural there's no natural chemical in the soil. There's no natural minerals in the soil because there's no soil. Yeah. Um, so to to do that, it's certainly doable. It's certainly viable. Uh, it gets done on a regular basis, but it's it's not. Um, it's not something that can just happen overnight. You have to have you have to have the fertilizer, like the liquid li- liquefied fertilizer, in store and ready to go. Otherwise, there's just nothing for the plant to draw from. I remember living in Ontario, we used to hear about the Dutch nutrient formula all the time for the hydroponics, but uh, never really got into it because I, I figured it was like a high uh, high usage of electronics required and pumps and everything else. Like my cousin's big into hydroponics on the mainland there, but uh, I've never touched it myself. I've never messed around with yeah. it either. Well, there's and there's a big. Uh, there's there's a bit of a push for um, for uh, like indoor vertical farming that, that I've seen over the last couple of years, which is um, which can be it's, it's kind of cool because it can be done in a sea can without um, like without nat well with natural light if you put a if you put a, a a lighted roof in it, but it doesn't require any soil. It's if you have the right uh, nutrient balance, then you can put an exceptionally large garden in a very small space anywhere in the world uh, which is uh, which is a really interesting proposition because that's one of the biggest challenges we have is that we have you know in terms of food security we have a whole lot of a um, whole lot of place in the world where we can't grow vegetables where we can't grow you know, whatever food fruits vegetables tubers starches whatever they may be without a lot of effort but we, if we can do it in a more compact way then we relieve the strain, um, and we can you can do that in just about any climate as long as you can keep the in, like the interior climate of that um, of that can, or that container, or that warehouse um, at an acceptable level. So it's it's one of those emerging technologies that is going to be really interesting in a few years to see whether um, whether that's something that becomes you know we're going to start seeing people turning their garage their garage walls the inside of their garage walls into uh, you know a seven or ten layer vegetable garden. That's interesting. Well, especially if you buried the sea can, it'd be, it'd be good to keep it east, uh, nice and warm and everything else. <laughs> you, can't actually bury, you can't actually bury sea cans. The uh, roof will collapse. That's an uh, engineering uh, mishap, unfortunately. You, you, can't, you can't bury them too far without without proper support. So there's, yeah. a, it's, there's, there's a bit of a caveat there. Yep. Um, also, I was going to say with the, uh, the sea cans and whatever have you, that's actually a good idea. You suppose you could stack them or whatever, Heather, if you're space limited, something. I never thought of yep. that. Well, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You, you can you can line line up a few sea cans vertically and lengthwise side by side, and then uh, you know, in theory, uh, you know, five hundred square feet can grow twenty thousand square feet of uh, of vegetables. So, um, you know, and that's you, know, you take that and you expand it over things like you know remote communities in Canada, where uh, it's incredibly expensive to bring food in, and you can only do it, if, you know, under very specific circumstances like ice roads, or you do that in, you know, places, you know, like in remote Africa where, you know, you again, it's very difficult to get food in, into places. Then, you know, from a prepping perspective, if you can do it, it means that you have secured, you have food security no matter what. From a preventing emergency situation, then it it just seems to make a whole lot of sense if it's viable. Well, I mean, you can make it viable too. In all seriousness, if you go down about 15 feet below uh, the surface, you get down to uh, below the frost lines in most places, but also you get down to where the geothermal kicks in. And it actually, about 15 feet down is where the average temperature year-round 
is maintained. So whatever your average temperature is above ground is usually what it is about 15 feet down year round. So it's actually wouldn't be that hard to heat if you did have a, a, a deeper basement or whatever have to, uh, to work on your garden down there. Exactly. So if you've got, if you've got the right infrastructure in place and it takes a fair bit of planning for that, then, then you have, you have, a, a the ability to do that. So um, definitely something to keep kind of keep an eye on that, you know, you don't need a, a lot of space and you don't need a lot of soil uh, to grow vegetables. Yeah, that's true. So I also want to touch on uh, garden predator protection, which I think a lot of new garden people have trouble with because they don't realize how <laughs> big of a problem it can be. Oh, uh, yes. If you don't have rabbit Ebola, <laughs> you know, eviscerating the rabbit population, you do have rabbits that get into your garden through the smallest little holes. Um, I personally have issues with alpacas that stick their neck through fences and eating stuff they're not supposed to. Um, they've even gone as far as getting the dog to chew open some bungee straps so they can get into the fence and uh, working wow. as a team, of course, yeah. Um, birds coming in during, like, you know, if you have raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, birds will come in just as you're ready to pick them yourself. They're coming in and picking them for you. Um, yep. so there's a lot of things that you have to protect your crops from because pretty much everything other than you is also trying to eat your crops. Yeah, we've got yeah, squirrels. squirrels. Yep. <laughs> Tra- trash pandas around here. We've got we've got a, a pretty he- pretty healthy raccoon population and um, they'll eat just about anything. And um, what I learned when I was a kid is that uh, crows like crows like vegetables too. Uh, there was a there was a murder of crows that used to visit my grandparents' garden every every fall and just take over the uh, take over the gooseberry plants of all things. Huh. Like a Hitchcock uh, special. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, there were there were a few days I would look out there and go, yeah, I'm, I'm not I'm not going out there. But um, yeah, so yeah, make sure you know. Go ahead. I was surprised that the uh, the squirrels were taken off with their tomatoes. Didn't think and, they'd like tomatoes. And it looks funny when they're running away with it too, and it's like yeah. bigger than their head, and they're <laughs> yeah, so they're holding it and running over front for dear life. Yeah. Or some yeah. of them are so big they couldn't get them really. They got them over the edge of the garden, so we had a big garden box, and then they would drop them eat a little bit and then just take off like, leave most of it sitting there like a, a big slap in the face but, jerks at least at least if you're, you're gonna do it, at least take the whole thing be responsible with it yeah, exactly yeah <laughs> well at least see you know that during the zombie apocalypse the settle the scores will get settled with the squirrels and the trash pandas right i mean that you know, <laughs> eventually be food too so there you go um so what yeah. can we do for predator control i guess it's like step one is chicken wire it's uh yep. um not terribly convenient for us, but it'll certainly do the job of keeping out most birds and most squirrels and um, most predators. Uh, yeah. Other things to be aware of are um, uh, the the mites and uh, mites and worms that will that will feed on your feed on your vegetables too. So um, pesticides are an entirely different uh, an entirely different animal. But uh, the bigger predators, chicken wire chicken wire is good. It's basic. It's easy to put up a little couple of couple of two by two stakes in the corners and stretch it around, staple it on, make sure you bury those stakes deep enough that they can't just get knocked over by alpacas or gorillas or whatever you may come up against. That's right. So uh, yeah, bird uh, netting, of course, over top of uh, some some smaller gardens. If you have a garden, like a raised garden bed, you can put bird netting over top to keep the birds from flying in from the uh, the top part of the fence. Uh, that's one, yep. one way to do it because a lot of them will only come down vertically. They won't come down through the little fence holes or whatever have you. Um, also with rabbits, I guess you got to bury the fence down a good foot because they'll try and dig under yeah. being a little digger yep. than they are. Um, <laughs> and then goats too. I mean, goats will, will chew through some fence, smaller fence material, like up to including chicken wire, I suppose if they had to, to get to some of your crops. So if you think you might be secure, but you also have animals, you really got to watch that as well. 
Although, if you have goats that are coming to your garden regularly, that's probably not a bad thing if, uh, if things really do go south, because then you have another source of food coming oh. to visit you and fewer predators. Mm, goat curry. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And what they also want to touch on, too, is like, uh, considering, you know, I guess maybe just take a look around and see what grows in your local area, because if you can find the wild edibles that you like, you know they're going to grow in the area well and, and flourish. Like, for example, right, right now we've actually got introduced species behind in the crown land. They're like a, a larger version of the common blackberry, but they're called Himalayans. Um, the blackberries themselves are probably bigger than my thumb, um, and they're massive, uh, which is nice, and they're highly invasive, so they, it's it's nice to have a little stand of them nearby, but if, you, if I want to plant them on the property, I know they grow really well. Also, an interesting yep. note too: uh, dandelion in North America was introduced plant, um, and it's a food source. So sure. uh, instead of spraying them, <laughs> you've got some salad greens right off the bat. Huh? Um, yep. I don't know about the flower though. I don't think the flower is edible. Yeah, I don't know. We get tons of them here, but I've never, uh, I've never ventured to try and actually throw them into a salad or anything. So I guess if you want to, uh, you know, blow the seeds around on your front yard and piss off your neighbors, I suppose it's a, it's a food source ready made. <laughs> <laughs> no, really, guys, you'll thank me later. I, yeah. I promise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you'll thank me when the when the shit hits the fan for sure. Yep. Yep. Um, <laughs> interesting tidbit. I was actually watching uh, Bear Independent, another uh, prepper channel on YouTube, and uh, he brought up a good point that you know you need 750 pounds to 1,000 pounds of food per person per year, and you start thinking about how much that is. And, you know, how many cans of rice you may have in your basement or or not. And actually, yeah, you realize how, how fast it is to come up short. So I think uh, when you mentioned how many pounds of potatoes you can grow in a small spot, that, that really comes into play, doesn't it? Yep. Yeah, that's, uh, uh, yeah, that's I mean, a lot you of weight. Grow, uh, 100, 100 pounds of potatoes sounds like a lot until you realize that that's potentially only 10% of your needs. Well, yeah, I mean, actually, I did some research when he said that. I was like, ah, I don't think it's that much. But no, he was actually probably on the conservative, or sorry, the, on the uh, low side of things. I mean, mm -hmm. if, you're, if you're actually sit there, you know, burning lots of calories every day, just trying to keep the house warm and, and you know, fend off the zombies or whatever have you. Uh, yeah, there's there's lots of things to do. So you're going to burn more than your average 2,000 calories a day. You're going to probably be burning closer to four, right? Takes a lot of energy to make a tinfoil hat. Exactly. <laughs> you can just keep yourself from uh, from freezing to death. You know, you can burn a lot more calories just trying to stay warm, right? Uh, well, I mean, if you know, what is it? Four four thousand call it four thousand calories a day. It's only three pounds of food for four thousand calories, and that's uh, uh, you know that adds up when you've got more than one person. You've got three hundred and sixty-five days in a year, and if you're you know if you're thinking that it's uh, that's going to take a take a while before life gets back to normal and you've got external sources again like that's that that goes that goes quickly well yeah and see i did a little research on how much land farmland we're going to need to feed one person basically and um yeah it says basically you need a thousand square feet even up to two acres for one person for a year if you're going to be a vegan i suppose um depending on who you ask and what type of land you have and everything else but uh yeah so a minimum thousand square foot garden would probably be a good idea i would think that's a that's a big garden to manage. Oh yeah, oh, yeah it would be I mean, but uh, yeah, the, the garden I grew up with was uh, it was 100, 120 feet wide by sixty feet deep, and I'm not prepared to do the math on that right now. But um, <laughs> that was that kept that kept most of us like there were anywhere from four to six of us um, in you know a reasonable quantity of vegetables most of the year. Yeah, so but I threw that was you. Know, oh, go ahead. That, that's you know that was a you know that was that was not that was not the sole source of vegetables that was definitely not the sole source of food yeah. um, but it was 
you know, it was better. It was better than nothing. So it was, it was a good supplement to regular food stores. Yeah. So I put a couple of links in there uh, in the show notes, just uh, so people can take a figure out, uh, take a look, figure out how much land they're actually going to need to, you know, supply even a percentage of what they might need for a good year's supply of food or a renewable food source, uh, which is always a good thing to have, right? Yep. All right, so renew- renewable is the, is the big one there. It's like it's it's great to sit, you know, to go and buy a. You can you can go buy, go to Home Depot right now and buy a, uh, a couple of tomato plants and a couple of uh, a couple of pepper plants, and that's fine and dandy. But when you can't just go out and buy those preseeded plants, then what? Yeah, that's where the uh, the heritage seeds that regerminate come in handy too, right? Yeah. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So you got to more more research execution in a lot of cases. Yeah, so my uh, my thumb is far from green. Uh, <laughs> we just started kind of um, about two, maybe two years ago now. Uh, we put in the uh, the raised garden bed, and uh, you know successfully at least have been able to produce a couple salads for us. Um, the uh, the tomatoes last year kind of took over absolutely everything, and uh, so we had way too many tomatoes, but uh, made, made for a good salad at least. Um, like I mentioned, the uh, the squirrels. For whatever reason, like the tomatoes, and take off with them. Uh, I think we covered off uh, covered off some good ways of pest control for that. I don't have that in the show notes, but I think we've uh, covered off some good stuff. Otherwise, just, just just shoot the bastards. That's just <laughs> the other option. That's where pelican uh, yeah. goes in handy. Relatively yep. quiet, yeah. you know. Just I enjoy letting the, letting the dog out, and I just watch him chase them, and that uh, <laughs> that works out quite well. We actually had I put the chicken chicken wire up, and one uh, one squirrel ended up sneaking in. Because uh, we put it over the around all four corners and then over the top as well. We had one sneak in. I let the dog out. The dog saw him and I actually chased him 360 for a couple of minutes. So it worked out well. It was exercise for the dog. Tired him out. And the squirrel didn't come back for about a week and a half. So it was good. Perfect. Came, but then he did come back eventually. But it is what it is. But uh, yeah, it's, it's certainly a, a, an important skill to learn and not uh, something that everybody thinks of right off the bat. They think, oh, you know, yeah, like we said, we'll just... Grab some seeds and throw them in the basement, and then if something happens, I'll, I'll just throw some seeds in the ground and watch everything grow, and I'll be fine. But it's, uh, it's an important skill that's, to practice and practice and practice and figure out what works yeah, well for you and, and what doesn't, because uh, the time to learn isn't uh, isn't when you can't go to the grocery store to get anything. You know, I hate to harp on those seed packages too, again, but you know, like a lot of those seed packages or the, the you know the home depot tomato plants they're all the same variety right whether it be hoss yep. avocados or anything else like they, they seem to focus on one or two varieties and if you have some sort of a blight go through i think it yep. probably behoove most people to have a different variety of some sort or at least a few different varieties right oh absolutely yeah and one other thing uh, that grew really well in our garden was uh, hot peppers they were easy yep. simple they grew very well um they were very hot <laughs> uh, oh, I figured I would just bite into one and and see. I didn't think they'd get that hot, and uh, yep, they uh, they were going to warm. But I like spicy stuff, so that was all right. Um, but yeah, if anybody wants to venture in there, they grew uh, they grew very well in our garden the last couple of years and uh, produced quite a bit. So and vitamin C, What's that? yeah. What variety of peppers do you grow? Uh, so this year I did some habanero and uh, some jalapenos. Yeah, I did. I've done jalapenos in the past. They like, yeah, like you said, they grew really well, um, and they're really resilient. They're they're very versatile, or they're they're good for for versatile climate. So um, that was nice. And the squirrels um, didn't like them. No, exactly. <laughs> I was actually just going to say that it's another another method of pest control. Um, something of an old wives' tale, but I found it to be very effective. Is um, um, 
crushed chili powder, uh, put it around the edge of your, around the edge of your garden. And it becomes a good deterrent because the beetles don't like being near that smell. They don't like the acidity of it. So I grew another one. I can't remember the full name. It was Dragon something or other. It was big, long pepper, and it turned out quite well. I just took all of them, mixed them together, and I made uh, about six or seven cans of hot sauce out of it. So it worked nice. out well. Yeah. That's cool. So I guess getting started in in uh, in gardening for preppers, uh, when is your space? So obviously, depending on your space, that's going to dictate the type of garden that you go with. Um, a great place to start is with a raised bed. So very few, uh, very few natural soil, undisturbed soil that is in your in your backyard right now. Very few types of soil are actually good to grow anything more than grass and weeds. Um, but a raised bed gives you the control over the moisture quantity, it gives you control over the soil quality, um, but you have to start from scratch. So build a frame. Um, it's best to avoid using pressure treated lumber. Um, there are theories out there that the chemicals from the from the, the pressure treating can leach into the can leach into the, the soil which can which can be not so great for you uh, so use cedar if you can if not pressure treated uh, or just use uh, just use plain spruce you know two by six two by eight two by ten um, whatever uh, whatever you have handy there build a frame add some drainage gravel at the bottom so the soil doesn't get too wet and then go talk with your local garden center and find out what a good potting soil or uh, vegetable soil is have a couple of yards delivered. It doesn't cost a whole lot and it saves the suspension of your car on your, on your vehicle. Um, get in there and that'll, that'll give you a good bed to a good bed, you know, a good bed to start with. Um, you can also build those beds into the ground in a tiered fashion. The big, the big issue is you don't want, you want to be able to control. You don't want too much, too much moisture in the ground. So if you don't have you know, if the soil, the soil around my house is all clay. So if we just, if we, uh, tried to plant in there. Not only is there no nutrient, but there's no soil to. There's no. There's no place for water to drain. So every time we get rain, we get puddles in the lawn. Raised beds take care, take care of that as a problem. It also means that you can compartmentalize your your uh, your crops so that if uh, those squirrels get in on your tomatoes, they don't necessarily affect your peppers. And do you find it helps with weeding as well? Absolutely, because again, you've got you've got you don't have the the invasion of your natural, um, you know, the invasion of your of your your grass and you know whatever's in your lawn is not blowing in there. It's hitting the sides and dropping instead of coming, you know, creeping in the way it, the way it otherwise would. That makes sense. So that's a, that's a good place. That's a good place. To um, I was I was. I was I was learned real good from a young age to always start the uh, always start my uh, my plants early. Um, my grandma was a was a master of of indoor growing. She had uh, um, she had the, the like the grow lamps, and she would start all of her seeds in you know in March so that she had plants that were four to six inches tall when it came time to um, when it came time to plant them outside, and they were. Uh, she had she had them on a schedule, and she you know had very specific soil for it. Um, I've never been successful growing anything indoors, but um, that can work for you. Like she literally grew grew vegetable plants in the basement with um, uh, fluorescent lighting. Yeah. So it can it can be done. Yeah. Is that you, Ellen, or is that uh, Eric? Sorry. Oh, I just got a uh, kind of a background noise going on there. No, don't uh, think it's me. I'm the only one home. I can hear it too, but I don't. I don't know where it's coming from. I don't think it's coming from mine. 
I'm, I'm looking at Eric and his funky internet. <laughs> hey, 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 easy. It's, just, it's a new network. It's fixed now. <laughs> so now's our big chance to swear, right, Al? Yeah. So the, <laughs> the next big thing to talk about is, is fertilizer. Which is well, it's it's shit all over the place. Um, there are lots of there are lots of different fertilizers, of course, um, based on lots of different animals, and they all have their benefits and their drawbacks. Um, the ratio of nutrients in the fertilizer is dependent on the diet of the animal and all kinds of and the mixture between the alpaca and chicken poops versus horse, sheep, cow, whatever it may be. So um, again, go find out what your what your plants need. So based on based on the plants you want and the natural nutrients in the soil that you've used, find the right type of fertilizer to make up for the deficiency in nutrients. Uh, most fertilizers have a ratio of nitrogen and hydrogen. I forget what the other one is. That's usually a three-digit combination. Um, so find the one that's that works for the soil that you're for whatever's lacking in your soil. Um, and that will that will help your plants thrive. If they don't have if they don't have fuel to fuel to draw from in the soil, they can't grow. Well, yeah, and I want to touch on that as well. Um, if there's one thing we we learn about with all the animals around here is the different types of poop. So uh, rabbit and alpaca are uh, dep- of course depends on what the animal eats is what kind of poop they're going to produce too, right? So uh, generally, the herbivores is what you want. You don't want predator poop like dog poop or anything else going in your garden, it's not going to work that well. Um, chicken poop, for example, is super high in nitrogen. Well, it'll burn your plants right off the bat. So if you don't let chicken poop compost for at least a year before you use it, you're going to destroy everything you have. Um, so for all the, the new chicken people, don't just immediately throw it on your plants thinking that you're going to do your plants a favor. And uh, But alpaca and chicken, or alpaca and rabbit, you can throw on the ground right off the bat. Uh, as soon as they, they deposit, you can throw it right on your garden. It'll it'll de- you know, break down in a matter of days with rain. Um, and it's actually basically just mildly composted grass is all it is. So it, as a general rule, you can use that stuff right off the bat. So, or, or you could become like, or you could become like the pigs from animal farm and just have the alpacas poop right out in the, uh, in the fields and save yourself a step. Yeah, that's right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so it's very interesting. That, of course, like you'll notice that uh, Home Depot and places like that do sell big bags of sheep manure because I think that's probably the easiest to work with because it's basically broken down into soil already by the time they sell it. But uh, it, it doesn't take a whole lot to make your own soil. Like, for example, I was mentioning um, the local tree guys when they actually get a truck full of uh, wood chips. And they actually have to pay money to dump it at the dump, but they will they can drop it off at my place for free. I mix it with the alpaca poop. And literally a month later, I've got black soil, which is nice. So it's uh, it does work out really well if you can provide your own or make your own. Um, but even just to augment what you already have, like so, if you already got good dirt in your in your uh, backyard, well, just add some uh, some mild natural fertilizer. It makes it makes a real difference, right? Yep. And know and know how to how to measure that too. I mean, there are you know pH test strips for just about everything. But if you can um, if you can learn to recognize what that soil, what good soil looks and smells like, you can figure out what it needs. So that when you don't have access to, you know, Home Depot's big bag sheet poop, that you can you you know what you're looking for to make up the difference. Also, don't go buying giant quantities of nitrogen fertilizer unless you have a really good reason to. It puts you on a government list. <laughs> Especially if you go to the gas station right afterwards and order ten gallons of or ten thousand gallons of diesel. Uh, if you're not on a watch list already, you're not doing it right. <laughs> I'd say the three of us are probably already on a watch list thanks to this podcast. So it's oh, guaranteed. <laughs> yeah. 
And you know, I just realized today actually the anniversary of the Mercy Oklahoma like the Mercy uh Murrah building Oklahoma City bombing. So that, that was a little dark. I apologize for that. Yeah. When was the anniversary of that? It was today. It's today. Uh, I think it's twenty twenty four years. Are you serious? Years? Yeah, oh, fourteen well, years. That, yeah. that was uh, well timed. We're on <laughs> a list or not? I guess. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, and boy. we even talked about that during the tinfoil hat episode too. Anywho, yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So now that list has been updated, and we're all at the top. Uh. <laughs> so going off grid once you've grown all these vegetables and you've gotten good at that the next step is uh preserving and canning them um preserving or canning is uh, a great way to preserve it you can make anything you want um eric you were mentioning that you had too many tomatoes i say there's no such thing there's just not enough tomato sauce uh good point but that that by itself is an entire is an entire episode at least one episode because that's uh, that's a whole different topic but um if you're going to grow and you're going to grow more than you can eat right now, then be prepared to can it. Um, otherwise, grow stuff like squash that can just live on your kitchen counter. Um, but that's that's the next kind of the next step. So um, this is a good start. We'll start growing things, and then we'll start. Then we'll talk about how to can them. I have a feeling come fall time we'll be uh, doing a canning episode around August, September, somewhere around there. I was I was just going to say that sounds like that sounds like a good <laughs> August. Uh, August yeah. I think my last point was uh, was going to be a, a, a throwback to um, the other Eric that was on a few episodes back and talk about mutual aid groups. Um, so if your soil is really good at growing tomatoes, for example, and but you can't get peppers to take hold, but your buddy down the road can get those peppers, then set that up and you know if you're good at one thing and he's good at one thing, trade them and be prepared for that. So. Um, be prepared to trade, grow an extra, grow an extra row for them, and he'll grow an extra row for you, and everybody will, everybody will be benefiting together. Oh yeah, that's that's actually how I came across the uh, the Jerusalem artichokes. There is like you know, like I said the other the other guy at the south end of the town. There, he um, he is a master gardener and can garden stuff that I can't even touch with a ten foot pole. But he, uh, I trade him basically a truckload of alpaca poop in exchange. We end up getting you know tons of fresh veggies and whatever heavy that we can't get going here right and it, uh, it all works out in the end right as long as you uh, are willing to have something to off on offer it, it works out really well so with like you know a truckload of alpaca poop or part of a 10 ounce silver bar anyway, yeah, exactly whichever one works <laughs> Uh, I just wanted to mention too, like uh, there's tons of them around the country, but like I mean, literally lots and lots of them. But one thing that just popped into my head was a uh, place to get like organic heritage seeds that actually regerminate are not your standard varieties and come in all sorts of uh, flavors, sizes, colors, whatever. Whether it be carrots or whatever, have you? If you want purple carrots, you can go get them. A uh, place called West Coast Seeds, which is just south of uh, Vancouver Airport. It's uh, in Langley, British Columbia. Um, they've got a website, westcoastseeds.com, and We've been there a couple times. It's actually it's a pretty good little store, and prices are fairly competitive, and the staff's really helpful too. Oh, good to know. That's cool. I think we should uh, we should put in our show notes for that um, canning and preserving episode about how to how to take seeds from your existing plants and make turn them into next year's plants. So uh, I'm just kind of thinking out loud for that episode when it comes when it comes about. Well, I, would, I would love to see somebody show me how to do carrot seeds because those things are small enough to begin with but i don't even know how you get them out of a carrot i guess that'd be a drying process or something but yep we'll figure that out for the canning episode yeah for the canning so there we go Can we uh, move into the podcast challenge yeah for sure Pod- so our uh, podcast challenge i guess uh alan you came up with this one didn't you 
Yeah. So our challenge for this week is grow a plant, any plant, indoor, outdoor, edible, non, um, smokable if you really want, whatever floats your boat, but grow a plant. Either start it from a seed, buy a living plant, but buy it, get it, start it, keep it alive, send us your pictures. Uh, let's see. Let's see what you guys are growing out there. That, I think that's a. I think that's a fun little challenge for this year or for this for this week. And actually, okay, you brought up a really good point. We didn't cover it in the gardening episode. Okay, hemp and or cannabis. I mean, it is legal now. I mean, not saying it's my my thing. It's not my cup of tea. But uh, some people swear by. There's medicinal properties. That there's some people swear there's there's medicinal properties with with marijuana. Hemp has you know oil seeds. You can make clothing, rope, whatever have you. I mean that'd be a, quite the process. Yeah. But I think it, it is technically a weed, so it shouldn't be that hard to grow. I wouldn't think so. It should it should be really it's it's. I have no direct personal experience of this before uh, October seventeenth of last year, but <laughs> it is something that it is it is actually fairly fairly easy to grow, and it, it, it grows in just about every climate, and um, you may or may not be able to find it growing in your local ditch or conservation area or wherever. Um, also fairly rodent proof. And even if it's not your thing to have around, it can make an excellent barter item. So if you run low on alpaca poop and silver bars. Well, that's true. And I mean, I think even right now under the law, you are allowed four plants. I don't know. I, I think that's the number. I don't. Four, four, four plants is the rule, but four plants, Again, I have no personal knowledge of this before October 17th of last year, but four plants makes a lot of marijuana. Like, yeah, it's I, a lot. I should just call my kids in here. They probably know more about this than I do. <laughs> 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 no, they've never touched it either, but they're, I'm sure they've heard around school all the, all the goodies. Oh, but... yeah. I totally learned that. I didn't learn that from my geography teacher at all in grade nine. But... <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so. Anyways, but yeah, we should actually have touched on that. Uh, that's probably a gap on my part, too, is I never even thought about talking yeah. about that. But and I mean this—that's what BC is famous for, right? I mean, it's growing their own BC buds. So, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so if you get the uh, podcast challenge done, fire off an email to uh, feedback at prepperpodcast.ca. Uh, let us know what worked well, what didn't work well. Uh, any feedback that you have in regards to the show and uh, and how you uh, how you like the podcast challenge? Um, like Alan said, pictures or it didn't happen. But keep those pictures legal. <laughs> Four plants only. <laughs> Four plants only. Keep the rest of them in a, keep the rest of them in a different picture. And actually, yep. you know, if we really we were serious about this, we should probably get somebody to volunteer to come on and tell us how to grow it. I mean, because honestly, I mean, yeah. somebody that somebody that uh, maybe an anonymous off-camera person or something that if they want to come in and give us the lowdown, that'd be fantastic. Yeah, why not? It'll help with growing. Okay, so there's, there's imagine. part two of the challenge. If you have success doing that, let us know what you did. <laughs> I'm going to have to strictly for scientific theoretical purposes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move into episode closing. Uh, so upcoming events. I've uh, still got the annual preppers meet in Desborough, Ontario, uh, July 11th to 14th. Uh, check out annualpreppersmeet.com for all the details. You can buy a ticket and uh, get registered to uh, come on out to that. Uh, it's great meet. It's been going on for a few years now. Uh, so again, annualpreppersmeet.com, check it out and, uh, Get your tickets while you still can before they sell out. All right. And for myself, I've got the uh, the first annual Western Canada Hot Springs meet still coming up next month, uh, May 25th, 26th. That is the weekend after the May long weekend. Uh, Slowquit Hot Springs, a couple links there to tell you how to get there and tell you what it's all about. Um, 
doing some campcraft discussion, meet up for like-minded people, bit of an adventure to get there, and it's uh, marked on the maps.me app if you uh, just want to follow uh, a GPS map to get there. Uh, second one, it's actually becoming a bit of a thing now. It's uh, a big, big event. Um, Podcaster Charity Shoot, July 6th from Heller, Alberta. Uh, newest thing, there's going to be a Stop the Bleed class. Uh, be, uh, it's going to be taught by Gavin from the uh, OG CPP, which is Canadian Patriot Podcast. Um, there's going to be a Maple Seed Shoot, which is basic marksmanship uh, for qualification, basically from Kelly and crew from Slamfire Radio. And a Pistol Fundamentals course, uh, which is going to be held by uh, Adriel Michaud, the hunting gear guy. He's got a website and a YouTube channel as well. So there's a few things to choose yeah. from when you're there, plus the regular uh, shoot itself for uh, raising money for a charity, which I do believe is a cancer charity. I am not sure which one it is this year. I, I haven't got the details yet. But uh, it's certainly going to be a bit of an event. It's uh, a couple days probably, but I'd say time it's all said and done. Neat. Awesome. Let's move into some shout-outs. Uh, I'll give a shout out to my now deceased grandparents. They've been gone for uh, about 12 years now, uh, but they were homesteaders and preppers in their own right. Everything was uh, everything was reusable, was sustainable. They were canners and growers and traders and all kinds of wonderful things. Uh, but they had a massive massive garden and they canned uh, canned everything. Uh, my grandma's chili sauce was famous around the county for for being at the ground. So, um, that was uh, that was that was great, and I learned a lot. Remembered a lot of their lessons, and uh, we'll get closer at some point to uh, to dealing uh, to to doing what they did. Ian, you got some shoutouts? Yeah, for myself, I got a new listener Dan. So thanks for keeping 